Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the series we're doing called Interacting Well. Interacting Well. Um, this is right off of a series we did called Developing Well, which is all about the Beatitudes, which are the attitudes that we need to have developed in us as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit as citizens of the kingdom of God. At the end there of Matthew 5, where the Beatitudes are, um, Jesus tells us that we need to be salt and light in the earth. And to me, that was this idea of interacting uh, in the world around us. And as I prayed about that, it seemed to me the, the, the best verses for that were the verses that are known as Jesus' great command. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And we have spent the first six weeks sort of breaking down the idea. We, we talked about, you know, week one, loving God with all our heart, and what that means with all our soul, what that means with all our mind, what that means with all our strength, what that means we spent the last two weeks talking about loving our neighbor as ourself and um, in, in fairly, you know, big detail. Uh, and we're going to dig into that some more. And over the next couple of weeks or a few weeks, I want to I look about at, at some encounters that Jesus has with people to help us uh, do what he did and see what he saw and think like he thinks and serve like he serves and love like he loves, which is what I said loving your neighbor is all about, that he modeled for us and we spent two weeks talking about that. So we're going to dig in that together here in just a moment. Before we do, I got a, got a bad story, bad joke, if you would. Some of you if, you, if you grew up in the church, you probably know that Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday, which starts Lent, which is really... Um, just a church historical celebration, preparation, if you would, preparing uh, up through Easter, the resurrection of the Lord. And, um, and, and so from Ash Wednesday, it's actually 46 days to Easter Sunday. Um, the Sundays don't count during the Lenten season. Not that they don't count, but each one is sort of a mini celebration of the resurrection. So it's, there's 40, so it's 46 days, but it's actually 40 regular days, six Sundays, and then we'll be at the resurrection day. And um, I, I read to you, or I prayed the, the, the prayer that, that touched on the, the idea, historically, of Jesus fasting 40 days and 40 nights on our behalf. And it's kind of where they, 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 they tried to ground it historically in church. Lent really isn't defined anywhere in the Bible. Um, we see it back in church history, starting at about 325, some people think. Um, uh, and, and there's, you know, different parts of church history that record it. Parts of the church still celebrate it, you know, very, very significantly. Uh, other parts, you know, not so much. Um, some um, people really feel that during the Lenten season, what they're supposed to give something up, and that's where um, some of you, if, if you haven't ever heard much of Lent, I know before I had any idea what Lent was, I had heard the expression, you know, I gave that up for Lent, and uh, had no idea really where it came from, but that's where it came from. People, you know, sometimes choose to give something up during the Lenten season, which is it's perfectly fine, but uh, again, it doesn't have to happen. It's, it's just a historical thing. But I have, my story is based on that because I said I was going to do a story, and then I, did a, I launched into what Lent was. Okay. It's a long intro to this story. Bartender notices that every evening without fail, one of his patrons orders three beers. And after several weeks of noting this pattern, the bartender asks the man why he always orders three beers all at the same time. The man says, well, I have two brothers. They both moved away to different countries, so what we decided was that uh, we made this pact, this promise, that what we would do is when we went out, we would always order an extra two beers, and, and uh, it's a way of keeping up sort of the family bond. It's a way of remembering one another. 
Several weeks later, the man comes in, and uh, he only orders two beers. And the bartender, you know, thinks, oh, my goodness, something's happened with one of his brothers. So he, he says to him, look, uh, please accept my condolences on the, on the passing of one of your brothers. You know, just two beers. Something's happened. And uh, the guy says, oh, no, 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 you'll be happy to hear both my brothers are fine. It's, it's really just that me, um, I have decided to give up drinking for Lent. Okay, so in case you didn't like that one, I do have a backup. This, I believe, is the new vineyard standard for bad jokes. You'll like this. What did the green grape say to the purple grape? Come on, man, breathe! That's great. That's the reaction I was hoping for. Thank you very much. Scripture reading. This is out of the message paraphrase. And uh, we'll dig into it deeper in, in the NIV in a little bit. John three sixteen and 17 says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So, as I said, the last couple of weeks in particular, we've been talking about what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. And I said that the, Jesus, the commandment is to love our neighbors. He, he, he assumes that we already love ourselves. And we talked about what self-love looks like that, you know, if we're hungry, we feed ourselves. And if we're, you know, if we have a need, we try and fill it. And it's not about self-esteem. It's, it's this natural sort of inclination we have to try and be as happy as we can be. And that when people turn to things that aren't good for them, it's not that they don't care about themselves. They've just get sort of gotten broken and will what really make them happy. And that, that's the second part of a two-part command. And that the second part hinges on the first part, that real happiness is found in loving God all in, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so once we get that figured out, then, then, then as, as we understand that that's what meets and, and fills us and where we find life, then we desire that for the people we encounter. And um, it's what Jesus models for us in, in the way that he lived uh, and the way that he encounters people. And it really changes the dynamic if you understand that in the process about the way that we encounter people in the world. And so, like I said, over the next few weeks, there's a few encounters I want to look at that people has, all different types of people, so, so that we can learn um, from him, um, you know, what he's looking for. And, and, and hopefully that we can think like he thinks and encounters and we begin to see like he sees and, and serve like he serves and love like he, he loved it. This is a big part of what we're called to. And, and remember um, that, that the parable we looked at about the Good Samaritan was, you know, who, who really is our neighbor. And, and the way Jesus defined it is that our neighbors are people who need to know the mercy of God. And that, and that really opens up the whole idea of who a neighbor is. It's really not very narrow. It's anybody that's broken and lost and hurting and desperately needs to know the mercy of the, of the Heavenly Father the way that we've experienced it. And so um, I want to encourage you when we look at these encounters to, to allow them to move past sort of um, stories and, and let them impact you significantly. That, that these encounters are, um, 
um, they, I, they, they should change the way that we really perceive people uh, around us. And, and that, so you need to allow yourself to kind of put yourself there if you could and, and really watch what Jesus does and, and, and think about how it should change the way that you interact with people um, when you encounter them. And, and, um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal to get our perspective right around this because perspective is a funny thing. Um, I, I, I try and exercise fairly regularly and run um, uh, several times a week. And uh, my granddaughter's been staying with us. They're, they're transitioning houses. So um, little Avery, she's two, and um, she's just full of chatter all the time, and she talks. And so, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm exercising and stuff, and I have some equipment in the back, and I'll be working out pretty good. And she'll come out and look at me, and she goes, Hey, granddad, what you doing? And then she calls it this. She goes, Are you mousercising? Granddad's mousercising. Yeah, it's like a Mickey Mouse thing. Instead of exercise, it's mouser size. But, you know, that, that's not really uplifting to me. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. And she's like, mouser size. Perspective, see, is, is, a, is how you look at things. And everybody's got perspective differences. But, um, but what I'm hoping to do again is to challenge you to take these things in. And, and not just hear them, but, but ask God how they can maybe change you in the way that you interact with people. I was thinking uh, uh, some years ago, I used to do a lot of mission work in Cuba, uh, and we helped plant churches over there. And so I was over there, you know, four or five times a year, um, short time periods. I usually just went for a week or 10 days every time I went, but I was there a lot. And we, we did training and planted churches, and we put on seminars in different places. And at one point, I was over there, and we did a, we did a three-day seminar on how to pray for people that needed healing. And um, we... we uh, Man, we were in, I was with another with a whole team of people, and we, we taught you know and taught and taught and modeled it and showed them it and at the end of it, we said let 's go and pray for people so we can put everything that we 've just spent all this time you know here talking about into practice and um, one of the first the places that we went, I was with these two guys that had sat for three days in this thing, and we started to pray for for this person who was not well at all, and they reverted back to their to the total way of they didn 't do anything that we just spent three days talking about. And I was, I was like, we just spent three days talking about this stuff. Um, but, but that happens all the time. We don't always allow things to impact us the way that, that we should. And I want to try and encourage you to ask yourself what you can learn from this encounter. And the encounter we're going to look at is, is in John chapter 3. So very well-known um, uh, chapter, mostly because of John 3.16. Most people know that verse, for God so loved the world verse. Um, but, but in the context of why it's there, it's, it's even more fascinating. And this is one of my favorite encounters um, that Jesus has. And it's the encounter that Jesus has with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And, um, well, let's dig in. First, first question, first point in your notes is this. Who do you think you are? Uh, who do you think you are? And I don't mean that in a, in a you know, the, the negative sort of, well, who do you think you are kind of thing. Um, but, but I think it's important uh, that you have an idea of who you really are. And, uh, um, and because we're talking about, you know, thinking like Jesus thought, it's a, it's a fairly significant thing. So um, Nicodemus, in this encounter, um, to meet with Jesus, he wants to meet with Jesus, so he sneaks in at night, which is how the whole thing starts. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing 
if God were not with him. Now, Nicodemus is a, is a fascinating um, character. Um, he really kind of represents the best in the nation at the time. He, he was a teacher. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. And, and, um, and so he's a, he's a person of significant stature in his community. Uh, and, and I think it's interesting that he sneaks in at night so no one will see him going to see Jesus. That's the, that's the story. Big politician... Um, big in the church, if you would, big, big guy, um, very well-known man of standing and stature. And he wants to see Jesus, but he doesn't want anybody to know. So he sneaks in at night. And he opens up this conversation with some really pretty flowery compliments towards Jesus. Um, but at the same time, I see that, and I think, you know, flowery compliments and sneaking in at night, that doesn't quite line up for me. Um, but, but there he is. He's come to Jesus, and uh, here's this encounter that Jesus has. And in this idea of interacting well, I would, I would suggest to you that life is filled with interesting encounters um, and challenging people. Challenging people and interesting encounters. And it's not a bad thing, and it's, it's not a threat. And it, and it can be used by God if we can get our thinking right in the process. And, and, you know, I started by saying, well, who do you think you are? And what I want to make sure you know is that God defines who you are. And if you don't know that, you'll let other people try and define you. Um, they'll, they'll try and manipulate you. or They'll even intimidate you if you're not settled in um, uh, who you are and also whose you are. That you need to know as a follower of Jesus, you're a child of the King. You're a disciple. Um, you're, you are broken like all of us, but we're living by trying to do the next right thing. And we're His child and, and we're following after Him. And, and we need to be settled in that in our minds. Because when we're settled in Him, then when we hit one of these encounters, um, we're, we're a lot less likely to feel defensive. And, 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 and these encounters can be way less about me. Uh, uh, you know, what about me? Because that's kind of our natural thing in an encounter. What does this mean to me? We can be less like that because we're settled in who we are. And we can start looking and seeing if, if and what God is trying to accomplish in the midst of the encounter and how God might use us. Use it, And in this encounter, Jesus seizes his opportunity with Nicodemus to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love. That's point number two in your notes. To speak the truth in love. John 3, 3 through 6, the, verse, the, the, verse, the chapter continues. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now Jesus is trying to tell a deeply religious person of very important stature that what he has is not enough. That is just not enough. That unless we repent and come to Christ, we cannot access the kingdom of God. It's not about our religious works. It's not about our political power. It's not about our position in society. It's all about His work of grace in our lives. And that's a, that's a big message to present to someone who's extremely religious. It's not enough. It's not about your works. It's not about your position. It's not about how well you follow the rules. It's all about His work of grace that makes the difference. And, and 
Um, another thing that you need to see in this encounter too, and this is really important, is that Nicodemus came to see Jesus. See, he saw something in Jesus that drew him to ask these questions. And in order to speak the truth, um, you have to be trying to, to live by doing the next right thing and, and loving people well so that you, those opportunities will avail themselves to you. Too often we, we get ourselves in this situation where we try and, and uh, even though we might know truth, we try and, and push it on people with having not earned the opportunity or the right to do that by first loving them well or presenting ourselves in a way that, that they're drawn to it and start asking questions. And so in what's going on here, Jesus is trying to love Nicodemus into the kingdom by getting him to see he can't make it in his own righteousness. It's really a very, very loving thing that Jesus is doing in this conversation. He's not finger-pointing. He's telling him, you can't make it the way you are. You, you don't, you're not going to make it uh, in, in your own works and in your own righteousness. You can't get there. And so what Jesus is doing is, is and this is the third thing, is he's being an encourager, which is what we're called to be, to be an encourager. And John three sixteen and 17 are these amazingly encouraging verses that, that Jesus is using in this encounter uh, that, that most people have heard. But in the context of the encounter, I think it's just, it's amazing. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think that verse gets missed a lot in the church. Um, in the giving of his one and only son, you know, Jesus is talking about the cross and, and how he's going to save us all by, by giving his life as a ransom for us um, and paying for our sins at the cross that we can be restored in relationship to God. That's what he's talking about in the process. Um, and, and that second part of that verse is so powerful. See, um, one of the ways that we serve, the way that Jesus serves in this world, is to be encouragers that we're talking about, not criticizers. Criticizers, And God's purpose in sending His Son is to save, not to condemn. So, uh, see, God doesn't delight in, in the death of the wicked. He desires that everyone be saved. And, and so, so Jesus was, was offering the hope of life to Nicodemus by sharing with him the good news. Jesus was sharing the concept of grace to a religious person who had only ever known the law. And even though the Old Testament speaks about grace, the religious community at the time, they'd lost the concept of God's grace and love. And see, it's, to me, this is why it's so important that we continue to reach out to people um, with hospitality and with generosity and, and uh, with this radical message of God's love that, that, as I've been talking about, we invite people into the journey and we allow the Spirit of God to, to begin to change them. And, and um, we, we live this life out the best we can before them. You know, doing, living by trying to do the next right thing, messing up sometimes. You know, but, but knowing that, that we're forgiven and, and we're pressing in and we're, we're, we're trying to cooperate with the Spirit of God to change us and to grow us and, and to do all that we can to not become those people that start finger-pointing at everybody else's mess. But that's the tendency in the church. And we have to just be so vigilant that we don't do that. There's something about um, the, just the, the dynamics and the, and the attack of the enemy that we face and all those things that wants to get us back under following rules and, and then criticizing everybody else. And once we get there, we lose our impact. There's no impact there. And, and yet we have a tendency to start, and, and it's not the message 
that makes a difference. Um, we, we have to love people well before we can ever talk about you know, the things that the Spirit of God wants to begin to do in them. And so we, we have to be people that offer encouragement and hope because of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And, and um, God's made a way for everyone to share in this hope that, that we have. And so the gospel is good news. It's good news. And, and if you are sharing the gospel in a way that it sounds like bad news, um, something's not right. And yet I, I see it all the time, and I think, well, that doesn't sound like good news. What you're sharing right now, it doesn't sound good at all. In fact, it sounds the opposite. It's, it sounds like about rules and regulations and rituals. It's not encouraging at all, and it's discouraging, and it drives people away from God. And that's what was happening when Jesus came. The established religious community had gotten so focused on rules that no one could get to God anymore. They just washed away His love and His grace and His mercy. It just didn't even exist it's all about doing it, you know, doing, trying to follow these rules, and that's where you were going to make it. And Jesus comes in to, a very, to the person who was doing it and says, that's not going to get you there. You can't make it that way. But I love the fact that Jesus, you know, he never gives up on anybody. We'll look at another encounter next week and some more in the future of people that, that are the opposite of Nicodemus in the way that they're living. But Jesus loves them too. And it's all about this last point. For, um, you always need to look for the beauty of potential. I've used that wording with you before, but it's just so important. Um, and so what does Jesus see in Nicodemus? Because here's this, this you know, the, the Pharisees by and large did not care for Jesus at all. Um, even though, just like Nicodemus, they knew that what was coming was from God, but they didn't like the package and they wrote him off and they, were, they spent most of the time trying to trap him so that they could have him killed. What was their deal? But here comes Nicodemus. Something's different. Jesus sees him. Even though he sneaks in at night, he's like not ready to really associate with Jesus, but sneaks in so he can find out what's going on. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus says this too. I love the way Jesus says things. In John three twenty and 21. Because remember, Nicodemus snuck in at the dark of night. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Jesus, you know, sees that Nicodemus is being drawn to the light, even though he, he sneaks in. And, and, and when he encounters Jesus, I, I think that he actually does step in to the light. Because in, in the following chapters in John, we see some neat stuff about Nicodemus. Um, the first thing we see is in John 7 that Nicodemus actually tries to defend Jesus in some way when, they're, when, they're, when, the, when the chief priests are trying to have him arrested. John seven fifteen and 51. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? So Nicodemus is trying to... Something's happened to him in his encounter. But this is the big one for me. That, that I think, you know, because Jesus loved Nicodemus so well, that, that Nicodemus feels that love and, and steps into the light with Jesus. Um, John nineteen thirty nine and 40. Um, after the crucifixion, when every, everybody else had run away, um, Nicodemus shows up with Joseph of Arimathea and publicly takes care of the body. That's a significant deal. Sneaking in at night now publicly, he's dealing with the body. John nineteen thirty nine and 40. Joseph of Arimathea, who they're talking about. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. 
And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. See, what I think happens in this encounter is that Nicodemus gets it. And, uh, and that that encounter results in, in a life change uh, for the kingdom of God. That Nicodemus steps into the light. And at the end, he shows it that he's not, he's not afraid any longer. And he steps up and publicly takes care of the body of Jesus. I think that's a significant deal. And so I, I just think it's a powerful encounter um, that demonstrates the love of God and, and how he wants us to, to let people know the good news, that, that he's made a way for them to have life and that he wants everyone to find that life, everyone. And that we're to live it out the best that we can in the midst of our own brokenness and yet constantly encouraging people to step into the light and follow after Jesus so that the Spirit of God can begin to change in us all that needs to be changed. And so, to me, this is the idea of loving our neighbors as ourselves, extending the mercy of God we receive to others, and and regardless of their situation and where they come from, so that they can come to know Christ and come to know life now and forever. So that's the first of the encounters we're going to talk about, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We'll dig into some more next week, but that's good for tonight. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you so much for doing that. We know how valuable your time is. Um, If you need prayer, go to our website at uh, keysvineyard.com and there's a prayer page and we'd be happy to pray for you. You can call us. We'll pray for you that way too. But we'd love to see you. Come and visit us sometime. And uh, thanks for watching.